This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 this morning. We want to continue along the lines of some things that we were teaching last uh, Sunday morning. Acts chapter 1 tells us about um, uh, the disciples' last time with Jesus before he was caught back up to the Father. Now, I'll need to uh, clarify that, I guess, a little bit. The Bible tells us and, uh, that the last night that Jesus was betrayed, or the last night Jesus was with the disciples at the Last Supper, Jesus gave the, uh, the disciples some specific instruction about what would happen because he's going to the Father. He said in John chapter 14, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and even greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. He went forward, went a little further to say in the next few verses that those works would be done in his name. If you ask, call for, require, literally speak anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Then Jesus is betrayed, Jesus is crucified, and the disciples are, are a wreck. They, um, uh, they're not only afraid for their own lives because the, they don't know if the ones that uh, uh, crucified Jesus are coming for them next. But then Jesus is raised from the dead. John chapter 20 tells us Jesus appeared to them in the midst of the room where they were assembled for fear of the Jews. The Bible specifically says that they were behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And Jesus appears to them. And uh, breathes on him and said, receive the Holy Ghost. Now, he said that in connection with the remission of sins. He breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, we need to ask the question, did Jesus give the disciples the ability to pick and choose whose sins are forgiven and whose are not? Well, that can't be what he's saying. The Bible says Jesus died for the whole world. So the disciples don't have anything to do with picking and choosing whose sins are, for, are, well, we say forgiven. Casually, we say forgiven. Remitted literally means done away with. Forgiven means covered over. Remitted means done away with. Jesus died for the remission of your sins, not for the forgiveness of your sins. So forgive me if we use that word casually, but you know what I'm saying if I, if I uh, you know what I mean when I say it. So when Jesus said, receive you the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. Whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. What he's saying is whosoever believes the words that you speak, the gospel that I'm sending you forth to preach, their sins are remitted. Whoever rejects it, their sins are retained. See, somebody has to answer for your sin. It's your choice. It can either be you or you can let Jesus do it. Uh, let me recommend Jesus as a better option. <laughs> So the disciples find Jesus, or Jesus finds them, I should say, breathes on them, says receive the Holy Ghost in connection with the remission of sins. Now, what happened when that took place? Well, in Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, the last few verses of the chapter, it says, beginning in verse 50, Luke chapter 24, verse 50, and he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and came up into heaven, carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem. Now notice the change in them. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Now something changed with them where before they were huddled up behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, now they're out in the open where the Jews are. 
Something has happened. Something changed in them. And one of the things that it identifies is great joy. Will it enjoy one of the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible identifies takes place after we're born again? These men are born again. There's a change in their life. If Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost, and they didn't get anything, then Jesus lied to them. He misled them. But they did get something. They were born again. They were born of the Spirit of God. Now, in that context, notice in Acts chapter 1, he said, but you shall receive power, Acts 1, 8. Here's what Jesus told the disciples. These men that are already born again, these men that are already commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel, these men that have already been told that because they believe in him, the works that Jesus did, they'll do and even greater works. They've been told all of these things. They've got all of these promises. Then Jesus says, but... You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the othermost part of the earth. In other words, you can't go into all the world and preach the gospel without the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can't do the greater works that I did without the power of the Holy Ghost. The things that I've commissioned you to do, the things that you know that I want you to do, the things that I've identified as my will for you to do as a church you need the power of the Holy Ghost to accomplish. When the disciples are born again, they are born of the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, you need a second dose of the Holy Ghost to do the work. Now, what did the disciples do? Well, it says that as the day of Pentecost approached, verse 14, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So what are they doing? Well, they're continuing with one accord in prayer and supplication. They're waiting like Jesus said. Do they know what they're waiting for? We have no evidence to to make us think that they would. Well, Acts 2 comes around. Acts 2 takes place. Holy Ghost is poured out. When the day of Pentecost, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Notice that's the second time that it tells us about this group that they're in one accord. In other words, they're of one mind, one purpose. They're on the same page. They're all desiring the same thing. They're all pursuing the same thing. Now, we, we read that casually, and we think that's just filler. It's not. It's very, very important. And I'll show you how important it is as, far, as we go forward today. But please keep that in mind. These guys are pursuing the same thing. What is it? The only thing they know is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I would imagine that their prayers would be comical before the Holy Ghost is poured out. They don't know what they're, at, what they're looking for. You'll receive power if the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What is that going to look like? Is it going to be a dove that flies from heaven like it did on Jesus and landed on him? What are they looking for? They have no clue. No clue whatsoever. But they're still gathered together with one purpose. And suddenly, verse 2, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. I'd love to have seen that. They're looking. They're sitting in the house. They're looking at each other and they see fire landing on each one, of the, each one of their heads or bodies or something. What would you think of the person you're looking at all of a sudden has got fire sitting on his head and he's looking at you and sees fire sitting on your head? Now, this, is, this has a, a significance to the Jews that we missed completely. Because in the Old Testament, the, the fire of God would come down from heaven 
and consumed the sacrifice on the altar to show that God was, uh, uh, that approved of their sacrifice. Now it's showing these guys are the altar. They're the sacrifice. So this has significance for them. Somebody once asked me, well, why don't we have fire coming down on people when they're filled with the Holy Ghost now? Because it wouldn't mean anything to anybody if it happened. But there's great significance there. Great significance to them. Verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Please say all with me. Notice it doesn't say most. doesn't say the lucky ones. doesn't say the chosen ones. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. God doesn't leave anybody out. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it tells us what the evidence of them being filled with the Holy Ghost was. Notice it does not say that cloven tongues of fire is the evidence. Notice it doesn't say the sound of a rushing mighty wind is the evidence. It says they were all filled and began to speak. Speaking is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost. So this spills out into the street. 120 of them are filled with the Holy Ghost. This spills out in the street and Peter preaches. Peter's preaching is very, very simple. He's got two main points. Number one, he says, this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet. Verse 16. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, etc., etc. His second point is, Jesus was crucified. Jesus, who did miracles among you, was crucified. And God has made him the Christ and the risen Lord. That's it. I'm pretty well convinced that Peter is surprised when he hears the words coming out of his mouth. When he starts saying, this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet, he's probably thinking, it is? What does Peter know about Joel the prophet? Nothing. He may have heard those verses repeated once or twice throughout his life, but that's not something that people are dwelling on. That's not a go-to scripture of the Old Testament. What does he know? He knows only what the Holy Ghost has given him to say. Now, I'm going to turn back to, to the book of Joel because what, what Peter says, this is what Joel said, is, very a small part, is a very small part of what Joel really said. I'm going to start in Joel chapter 2 in uh, verse 23. I'm going to read this in context. This is going to contain everything that Peter said that it was, which is in uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. But I want you to hear the whole thing. Joel chapter 2, beginning verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Zion is always identified in the New Testament as the church. So the Old Testament references to Zion. Certainly there was a physical location of Zion, Mount Zion, which is in the city of Jerusalem, literally the Temple Mount. But it's always a reference to the New Testament church or has a spiritual application to the New Testament church. So it says, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. What is that uh, a reference to? Let me stop and tell you about what the rain is about. You remember in the Old Testament when God said to Moses, uh, Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and I'll lead you to the promised land, and tell the people that it's a land flowing with milk and honey, and uh, so forth. One of the promises, or one of the um, uh, the characteristics of this promised land is, he said, it's not a land that you'll have to water by foot. Now, to understand the meaning of that, they lived in Egypt, and the only source of irrigation was the Nile River. 
And so even back in the Bible days, ancient Bible days, they had created these treadmill type things that would pump the water from the Nile River out to the, to the farmlands that they needed in the deltas and so forth. So they would have slaves, many times it would be the Jews, who would have to walk these treadmill things to pump the water. And so when it talks about watering it by foot, you'll, know, you'll not have to water the promised land by foot. Instead, it'll be watered with the rains of heaven. He says, this is a land, the promised land is a land that is dependent on God for rain. It doesn't have a river, even though Jordan River is there. It's not something that you irrigate from the Jordan River. It's something that the, the, the harvest is completely dependent on God. Now, that has a spiritual application for the church, and that is God wants us in every part of our lives to be dependent on Him and His help. How does God help you? By the Holy Ghost. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the 5 freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The Holy Ghost is the agent whereby God works in the earth. So here where it says, I'll give you the former rain and the latter rain, in the first month, the first month is a reference to the time of the Passover. So it's talking about relative to the time of the Passover, which we know was the time that Jesus was crucified. He said, I'll give you the former and the, the early and the latter rain. It, for what purpose? To produce crops. Now that has a natural application for Israel and has a spiritual application for us. So what is he talking about when he's talking about the rain? He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 says, uh, well, let me read it to you real quick. I, I want, want to make sure they get the whole thing. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. So even, even other scriptures tell us, that God used the rain as a type of the Holy Ghost, the type of the Holy Ghost, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So when Joel is talking about the rain, he's talking spiritually. Naturally, it has an application for them. It's saying God will help you produce crops by giving you the rain. Now, here again, let me ask something so you can see the character and the nature of God relative to the church. How many, how often did God want crops to be produced for Israel's benefit? Every year. And his promise was, I'll give you the rain that you need so that you can plant the crops and so that you can harvest the crops. I'll give you the rain that you need. All you have to do is depend on me. I won't short you on rain. This is not rain in certain times, but not enough rain to really get the job done. See, so many times in the church world, I think what we do is we look back at times like the book of Acts. We look at the early days of the church and we say, well, that was just for then. Well, why was it just for then? 
Does God not want crops produced for us now? Was God generous back then, but he's stingy now? Why in the world would God not want the same thing today? What made us think, other than the the lies of the devil, what would make us think that God would be any different in his attitude toward providing for the children of Israel, which made the promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, and not provide spiritually for us in the same or greater ways? God is not a stingy God. We see that from what he did in the book of Acts. So back to Joel chapter 2. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, referencing harvest, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Now, I love this part. He's saying in connection with the rain, he said, I'll give you back what was stolen from you by the enemy. Joel's promise is very simply this. God is saying, I'll make the good years so good you'll forget about the bad years. I'll make the harvest so great you'll forget about the time when through your own disobedience and your own lack of following me, depending on me, you didn't produce crops. I'll make the fat years so good you forget the lean years. So I'll restore unto you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm and my great army, which I sent among you. That's one of those scriptures where it's translated in the, uh, the causative sense, which is in the permissive sense. Why did the locust come? Because they didn't depend on the Lord. They were disobedient to the Lord. Why did the caterpillar and the canker worm and all that stuff steal the crops? Because they didn't depend on the Lord. They didn't obey his word. Remember the rain. Remember the harvest is... is Uh, The harvest production is dependent on obedience and dependence on God. God never wants you to have enough so you don't have to trust him. I don't know how much that is for you. See, some people could be a billionaire and still trust God every day. Some people couldn't have 50 bucks and stop trusting God. Or not stop trusting God. So he said, I'll restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent are allowed among you. And you shall eat in plenty. Notice it provides for you. You shall eat in plenty. It's talking about provision. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, I want to read this verse of scripture again. Dealt wondrously with you. One translation says, one that I found, there may be others. But one translation says that worked miracles among you. And my people shall never be ashamed. My people shall never be ashamed. My people shall never be ashamed. That verse of scripture is quoted by Paul over in Romans chapter 10 when he's talking about salvation. In Romans chapter 10 verse... Verses 9 and 10, let me read in context. Paul said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God is raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That's a reference to Joel. So Joel is talking about something that Paul refers to relative to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, meaning salvation and all the blessings of God. Paul goes on to say that the gospel 
is the power of God to a number of things, not just forgiveness of sins. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So he's talking about all of these things as a part of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And he's directed by the Holy Ghost to do so. Verse 27, back to Joel chapter 2. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, your, I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Afterwards, talking about a period of time. It's not talking about after the early and latter rain. Afterward means last days. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now Joel is speaking very plainly and specifically by the Holy Ghost about what the rain is. The rain is the outpouring of the spirit of God. Now what happens in Acts chapter 2? Let me back up a little bit and keep this in context. What happens in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Ghost is poured out. What are the disciples doing before the Holy Ghost is poured out? Praying for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In whatever form, whatever manner, whatever knowledge they have, they're continuing in one accord. They're on the same page about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They're continuing in prayer and supplication for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost so that they can do the work Jesus told them to do. That's the only thing they're waiting for. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So notice what Joel is prophesying. And and. Peter picks up on this and says part of it too. Joel is prophesying a period of time for the work of the Holy Ghost. He calls it the last days. It begins with the day that the Holy Ghost is poured out. It continues to the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is the end of the tribulation period. That's the day of the working of the Holy Ghost. Now that, does, that encompasses more than the, day, the, the, the church age or the age of the church. The age of the church is identified from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost to when Jesus comes back for us, which we believe is the beginning of the tribulation period. But the Holy Ghost will continue to work. Back to Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches, as I said, his two points, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and Jesus is the risen Lord and Savior, the one who did miracles and was crucified among them. So he gives them instructions. They asked, what should we do? When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They said, what do we do? Peter said in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, if you stop right there, he's saying, receive Jesus and become born again. And then he adds something to it. He said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, some people might say, well, he's talking about being saved so that the Holy Ghost can, be, can recreate their spirits. Well, he sure says it in an awkward way. He says it in a way that was different from the way that it worked for them. They received the Holy Ghost to be born again. And then in a separate time, they were filled with the Holy Ghost or endued with power from on high. 
There are five times in the book of Acts that, the, that somebody is spoken of as receiving the Holy Ghost. This is the first with the disciples. They were first born again in John chapter 20. And then secondly, they were filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. The next time is over in Acts chapter 8 where Philip goes down to Samaria and preaches Christ. The Bible says the whole city received his preaching and were born again. Great joy filled the city. Then Peter and uh, John went down and, and prayed for people that would be filled with the Holy Ghost, and they were. The next time is Acts chapter 9, where Paul is met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. While he's talking to Jesus, blinded by the, the light that shines from heaven, the glory of the light, he calls Jesus Lord. Afterwards, when he goes into the city and he's still blinded, he spends three days blinded by the glory of the light, not by sickness or disease. God didn't make him sick. But he's blinded by the glory of the light. During that period of time, God appears in a vision to Ananias, a believer, a disciple named Ananias. And he calls Paul brother, which indicates that Ananias, through the information he received from the Lord, understood that Paul was saved. When Ananias goes and prays for him, he lays hands on him that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit at a different time that he was saved. The next time is in Acts chapter 10, the only time that we have in Scripture where somebody was saved and filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. And that was Cornelius in his household when the Holy Ghost fell on the Gentiles. First time it really got, uh, first time the Lord had commissioned the church into the Gentile nation, the Gentile world. The Holy Ghost fell, and they were uh, saved and filled with the Holy Ghost all at one time. Finally, the fifth time is over in Acts chapter 19, where Paul goes to, uh, passes through the upper coast of Ephesus. He finds certain disciples at the, uh, at the riverside. He assumes they're born again and asks them about being filled with the Holy Ghost. They said, we've never heard of it. And they said, well, what are you baptized unto then? Well, you know, what's your salvation based on? He said, well, we were baptized in water by John according to John's baptism. And, and Paul says, oh, well, I thought you guys were saved. You haven't even heard about Jesus. So he told them about Jesus. It said they received Jesus, and then he laid hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost, and they were filled. So four of the five times in the book of Acts where somebody was filled with the Holy Ghost, it was at a separate time from when they were born again. What does that signify? It signifies that there are two works of the Holy Ghost. To be born again by the Spirit of God, which we call in the church world generally salvation. And then the second work of the Holy Ghost is to be endued or filled or baptized in the Spirit. One is for personal change, a change in spirit that creates what we know of as characteristics of spiritual development. Known as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. The other act or action of the Holy Ghost, is to be filled to endue with power from on high. Now, Jesus did not say, wait till you get born again before you go out and have church. They're already born again. He didn't say, wait until you develop in love before you share your testimony with somebody. He said, wait till you receive power. Why? Because power is what makes us witnesses. Now, what is this power? The power is the outpouring of the Spirit of God. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
set time, make sure that at least sometime in every day, you're asking God to move by the Spirit of the Lord. Start off something simple like this. Say, Lord, your word says that we're supposed to ask you for the rain in the time of the latter rain. So I ask you to move by the Holy Ghost. That's as far as I know. Now, Holy Ghost, you help me to pray in other tongues. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.